Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a joy to be here with you this morning to share from God's Word. Before we get into the scripture and the passage that we're going to talk about today, I want to share an important announcement. As many of you know, um, our dear brother, Pastor Aubrey, is on holiday with his family, with his kids, and so it's a well-deserved break. Many of our elders are gone. They've gone back to their home country for holiday, and they are also on break. And many of our church members here are missing and at home taking a break with their families. And so because of that, I have to make this announcement this morning. And um, it's a very challenging announcement. And for some of those who are here visiting for the first time, this is not normal. This is not typical. For those watching from home, this is not normal. But it's uh, something that I have to share with you. Recently, a church member has fallen away from God. You know, this church member has slandered the pastors, said malicious lies about them. This church member has, has slandered the elders, has spread lies about them. This church member has even spread lies about some of our members of the, or members of the church. You know, this is very challenging, and when confronted, this church member uh, rejects everyone and everything, doesn't desire to be confronted. As a matter of fact, he rejects the Christian community, wants nothing to do with Christians. This church member is beginning to divide the church. And so I want to urge you to avoid this kind of member. Flee from this member. Have no fellowship with this member. And this member is out of control. He's rebellious. And I mention his name only because I care for the church. And the name of this church member is Diotrephes. You see, brothers and sisters, this was a real church member. This was a real church, and this was a real situation. But it didn't happen here at ECC. It happened here in 3 John. I can imagine how you felt just now. Anxious, scared, worried. Is it me? Who are they talking about? But you know what makes the situation in 3 John worse? Is that he wasn't just a church member he was a leader within the church. And so <clears throat> what we're going to look at today is John's actions towards one rebellious church leader. <clears throat> so please open your Bibles to 3 John, verse 9 through 15. <clears throat> and as you're turning there, I'm just going to share a little background. You know, you remember three weeks ago, um, Sham and Nagusi preached on 2 John. And in 2 John, what we see is that there's a church, and this church is facing real, um, real hardship and real opposition and real evil outside of the church. But here in 3 John, the church is facing real hardship, real evil, and real opposition inside the church. And so as we look at this text, there's four main characters. We've got John, the one who wrote 3 John. There's the recipient, Gaius. And then we're introduced to two other people, two men by the name of Diotrephes, and Demetrius. And so we're going to see how God takes seriously those who practice evil inside the church. So let's look together at verses 9 through 15. It says this, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. 
Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and when you know that our testimony is true, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. You know, unfortunately, if you've been a Christian very long, you've probably been a part of a church that had bad leadership. And I'll tell you, when you're with a church that has bad leadership, it's devastating. It hurts. It begins to, to, to spoil so much of, of the attitude and the atmosphere in the church. It's devastating. It creates division. It brings fear. It brings a lot of confusion amongst the members. And I'll tell you, it hurts the body of Christ, doesn't it? Maybe you know someone who's been a part of a church and they have left the church completely. Even now, years later, they have not returned to the church because of these bad leaders. It can be devastating. It hurts people. And you know, this is not just for 2021, but this happened 2,000 years ago. John is dealing with this very issue. And so just like John warned the early church, he warns us today of these people who are divisive and practice evil in the church. So brothers and sisters, my hope for you this morning is that you boldly imitate good and resist the evil inside the church. Why? In order to protect the church. So I have a question for you this morning. How will you guard ECC? I want to show you three ways we can guard this church. The first is we must boldly reject evil. We must boldly reject evil. Let's look at verse 9 and 10. It says this. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So here we see that John has written something to the church. We don't know exactly what it was, but he wrote something to the church. And so regardless, John is concerned about something or rather someone inside the church. And I think you see John's heart here, his love for the people, his concern for the people, his perseverance for this particular congregation. And so as we just saw and just read, he can't be there in person. So what does he do? He writes to them because this is how the the communication was then. And then we're introduced to this man by the name of Diotrephes. We don't know much about him, but what we do know is that he was some kind of church leader or at least had very strong influence within the church. And let me tell you, it wasn't a good influence. It says that he put himself first. Just so you know, it's not a good thing if someone mentions your name and says he puts himself first. Oh, yeah, I know our our dear brother Luis. I know him. He puts himself first all the time. Oh, our dear brother, Victor Jacob. Yeah, I know him. He really puts himself first all the time. They don't. I'm just using them as an illustration. But you can see that that phrase does not go well with someone's name. But Diotrephes is one who puts himself first. And so Diotrephes, we see this, and and it reveals his heart. It reveals his motives, And what it also does, it really just shows you that his primary concern is not for the members of this church in 3 John. 
His primary concern is for himself. You know, we see his heart and his motives in these passages. And I like to look at it in, in, in this way. We, we're going to see three red marks about the life of Diotrephes. Now, for those of you who are here, those kids here and you're in school, you know what a red mark is, right? It's not very good. You know, you don't run home and say, Mom, look, I got red marks on my paper. I got a big red mark on my exam. No, no. When you see that color red, you think to yourself, oh, no, what did I do? I failed. How did I miss that? We look at our stoplight, stoplights, right? Green is good. Red means stop. And what we see here in this passage is three red marks of Diotrephes. Let's look at verse 9. It says, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So the first red mark that we see about, of Diotrephes is this. He does not acknowledge our, any authority. You know, he refuses to acknowledge John's authority. He refuses to acknowledge the authority of the other elders and the brothers. And ultimately what he's doing, what we see here in this text, is that he's refusing to follow God's authority. Diotrephes wanted to be the highest authority in this church. He wanted to answer to nobody except for himself. You contrast that with John, the writer of this book, and it's, we see John that he had talked with Jesus. He had been with Jesus. He had seen the risen Savior. And yet he refers to himself not as, I am the Apostle John. No, he refers to himself as the elder. And not only that, but he shares his authority with the other brothers. And I think that's a real, real important key uh, piece of information because I think the Bible teaches that there should be a plurality of elders. So yes, Pastor Arby's our senior pastor, but we have 13 other pastors who oversee the church. It's not just one pastor being authoritative, making all the decisions. Diotrephes, on the other hand, I'll tell you what, all he wants is the authority for himself. That's who he is. He wants to be the boss. To put it in perspective, it would be like me standing here right now saying, okay, everyone, I want you to pay attention. Pastor Aubrey's gone. Most of our elders are gone. And I'm in charge now, okay? So I'm going to start making decisions. And if you don't like it, there's the door. See ya. You can get out of here. That was the posture of Diotrephes. He was kicking people out of the church. We see his second red mark. He says this. He slanders other believers. Look at verse 10. He's talking wicked nonsense against us. Here he is lying left and right, telling people things, spreading wicked lies about John, about other brothers in the Lord, about missionaries. He's spreading wicked lies. And guess what? He doesn't care. He doesn't care one bit. And this is what evil leaders do. They don't care about the reputation of others. They don't care who they hurt. They don't care who gets in the way. What they care about is only themselves. I mean, have you guys ever had someone talk about you? Maybe spread a lie, spread a rumor, say something about you? Try to ruin your family name? It's devastating. It hurts. It's hard. And it can ruin your name in seconds. We see his third red mark. He refuses to welcome Christians. Look at verse 10. And content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also <clears throat> stops those who want to. So he, he refuses to welcome these brothers who stand for the gospel. 
He, he was actively trying to oppose those traveling missionaries at the time, perhaps those who were in need. You know, during this time, they needed food. As missionaries, they would go from town to town, city to city. He would not provide food for them. He would probably not provide water. Maybe some of the members of the church were trying to provide water and food for them, and he would say, hey, don't do that. Get out of the church. You're not allowed to do that. Maybe he would stop them from, from, by not providing shelter or maybe even money. This was Diotrephes. He stops those missionaries and stops those in the church who support those missionaries. You know, last week, our brother JP, he shared and he talked about how we are to support missions and the work of missions in our church. And I 100% agree. And biblically speaking, it is our responsibility to do this. You know, I want to talk to some of the teenagers here. Maybe God is calling you to be a missionary. Maybe you think to yourself, no, I can't, I can't do that. But maybe God is calling you to be a missionary. Maybe God is calling you to go to a part of the world that's unreached and reach people for the gospel. Maybe you're saying, well, no, I'm, I've already got my uni plan. I, I know what I'm doing. My parents have agreed uni is a great fit for me. I'm going to be going to uni next week or next, this past year, next year, and I'm going to start majoring in um, engineering. I'm going to be an engineer. To you, I would say, praise the Lord. That is amazing. But maybe God wants you to be an engineer in an unreached place, sharing the gospel of Christ. Yeah, but Ben, I'm going to be a business person. I'm just, God's gifted me in becoming a business person, and, and I'm pretty savvy with numbers, and I can start businesses. So I want, to, I want to get my business degree. Praise the Lord. Maybe God is calling you to start a business in another country to proclaim the gospel to an unreached people group. Well, Ben, I'm going to be a doctor, and maybe that's good for them, but as a doctor, I have to be in a hospital. I would say, praise the Lord. Maybe God is calling you to do medical missions, to reach people for the gospel. Maybe some of the older folks here, older people. Maybe God is calling you to do missions. Yeah, but Ben, I'm already established here. I've come to the UAE, and, and I've got my job. I've been here for years, or maybe I just got here. But maybe God is calling you to do this. Maybe God is calling you to take your current job and advance the gospel in another country. Maybe it's here. You know, William Carey, a famous missionary to India, said this, It is the duty of those who are entrusted with the gospel to endeavor to make it known among all nations. That's what we're supposed to do. So here we saw Diotrephes' three red marks, and they really reveal his heart, don't they? So what does John do? What does John do from far away? What does he do about this man in the church who's creating all this disaster? Well, let's look at verse 10. He says, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. What John does is he's writing the church and encouraging them, encouraging them and saying, hey, when I go, I'm going to confront Diotrephes. Confrontation. Many of us fear it, don't we? It's difficult. It's challenging. It's scary. We don't like it. It's not comfortable. I don't really know anyone who says, I love confrontation. I love talking to people about things and, and confronting them. It's scary. But you know what's worse than confronting a friend or a family member or a coworker? It's confronting someone within the church. 
you know, when we face confrontation, we often respond in one of three ways. The first way is the right way, I would say. It's with, with love and humility, and we go to that brother or that sister, and we say, hey, I just want to understand uh, what happened. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I saw. Could you help me understand? And, man, I'm just coming to you with love. That's a good way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it, and that is with the wrong motive, the wrong heart. You really don't care what they say. You really just want to let your opinion known to them, and that's final. But there's a third way, and I think the third way is the way that maybe many of us lean towards, and that third way is this. We just ignore the situation. We ignore it completely. If something's happening over here, we, we look the other way, and we say, okay, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Maybe it'll just go away. If something's happening over here, we turn this way, and we say, okay, I'm just going to ignore that. Maybe it'll go away. Nope, not yet. Okay, I'm just going to look over here. If it's happening there and there, we begin to look up at the sky. Okay, eventually it'll go away. And we just ignore the situation. I can't imagine if John would have ignored this situation. I mean, his main concern was the church. His main concern was the advancement of the gospel. I mean, this is the gospel, the good news of Christ, the gospel that many of his friends had been killed for. The gospel, the, the, the fact that his Savior, Jesus, had been crucified and he knew it. And you know, brothers and sisters, if we hear people slandering our pastors, we should confront them. If we hear or see people confronting other church members, we should confront them. If we hear or see people confronting our children or trying to hurt our children at ECC or our teenagers, we should confront them. If we see a brother or sister in the church living a life of sin, we should confront them. Shame on us if we ignore evil in the church because we don't want to confront. John loved the church more than he loved himself and more than his own personal comfort. And if we don't confront, is it because our love for self is greater than our love for the church? Maybe you're hearing you're not, not a believer, you're not a Christian, and you would say, you know what, Ben? I got to admit, I'm actually like diatrophies. I've slandered people. I slander people at work. I slander my family. I've even slandered some church members here. Maybe I've slandered the pastors here, the elders. If that's you, I want to say, dear friend, repent. This is God's word for you this morning, saying, repent. Repent from your sin. Turn. God loves you. He will forgive you. This is a word for you this morning. If you're here and you're a believer and you're a Christian and you say, you know what, I got to admit, I tend to avoid confrontation. When things happen here, I look over there and I just avoid it completely. Maybe that's your tendency. I want to say, please help. Help guard this church. Don't run from confrontation. John didn't, and we just saw that in the text. But this is how we guard the church. We boldly reject evil. But guess what, brothers and sisters? Rejecting evil is not good enough. It's just not enough. We not only have to take off, but we have to put on. And what we see here is we must also boldly imitate good. And so that's the second way we guard the church. We boldly imitate good. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. It says this, <clears throat> Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. 
we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So here John is, is writing to, to Gaius, and he's writing this letter, and he starts with beloved. And that's a great way to start because I think it's just a term of endearment, a term of love and care. And he mentions the word good three times in this little section. And so the question we have to ask is, what does it mean to be good, right? What does it mean for, for us to be good? Maybe you're thinking, oh, I know I've got a friend who's really good, and he's kind, he's charitable, he gives to the poor, And yes, as Christians, we should do that, but I don't think that's what he means here, because I'll tell you what, there's there's non-Christians that do that. There's people who don't believe in God, and they love, they they, they care for people, they give to the poor. I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of medical scientists who are going to find cures for diseases, save hundreds of lives, thousands, maybe even millions of lives, and they're going to spend eternity apart from God. There's a lot of humanitarians in this world that are serving in India and Asia and uh, China and the U.S., Africa, all over the world who are feeding the poor, and they're going to spend eternity apart from God because they're doing good things, but doing good things are not going to save you on the day of judgment. I think what John means here in this text when he says good, I think he means Living a life that reflects the gospel. That's what he means. So John introduces here another person. His name is Demetrius. And he's got nothing but good things to say about Demetrius. And Demetrius is likely the man who delivered this letter that we just read this morning to, to Gaius, the recipient. You know, he wrote, John wrote this letter and he needed to trust somebody to give this letter to, to Gaius. And he probably trusted Demetrius. And so John urges Gaius not to imitate evil, but to imitate good. Perhaps John understood that Gaius would be facing difficult situations, temptation to maybe conform, temptation to just give in to this leader in the church and this person. And I'll tell you what, we can sometimes have trials in our life and face pressures, can't we? I can't think of anyone better but our teenagers in the middle of this pandemic right now. You're facing many challenges, and you have a lot of voices going on right now. You have voices over here saying, talking to you about, about lifestyles, about uh, the future, about money. You have voices of, on social media over here talking to you about this. You have voices over here, uh, your friends talking to you about things. We have celebrities over here telling you other things. And I'll tell you what. Doesn't it just sometimes seem easier to just conform and do what the world says? Okay, I'll listen to that artist because I like what they say. Okay, this week I'll listen to this person because I like what they say. It's easier. I, I, I say that with confidence. It's easier for now. But teens, it will leave you hopeless at the end of your life. It leaves you hopeless. Another way we can imitate good is by imitating men and women who have who have persevered and proven themselves to be godly leaders. I think of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Let's look at that text. It says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I mean, look around this morning. Look at those sitting next to you. We have people here who have proven themselves over time. Surround yourself with them. Surround yourself with these men and these women who have been faithful and have been persevering and following the Lord all these years. 
A great indicator for you teens or adults who, if you're wanting to connect with someone, look at their lives and see if they've been faithful. See if they have humility. See if they show grace, if they show love towards each other, towards other members. You know, if you don't have anyone, you don't know, who do, I, who do I find? Who's my Demetrius? Where can I find someone? I want to encourage you to do some things. Number one, you can pray. You might think, well, that's just, I mean, yeah, I know that, but what else can I do? I would say pray. I just spoke to a, a young man this week who's in the process of being a member, and he was wanting to be with, he wanted to become with friends with someone, anyone in the church, and he's new, and he just wants to connect and so he was praying, saying, God, help me to connect with someone. Help me to find some friends. And guess what? Within a matter of days, he said, they started inviting me to lunch, taking me out. I thought to myself, man, I need to pray that because I'm kind of hungry right now. I need to, maybe some of you will encourage me and take me out to lunch, I thought. But he prayed, and God answered. I think another way we could do it is come to church, physically be here, be with other brothers and sisters. Come. Get involved in a life group, even if it's over Zoom. You'll get messages, WhatsApp messages saying, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? I today, even this morning, 20 minutes ago, got a WhatsApp from someone in uh, Africa saying, how can I pray for you this morning? A friend of mine. It's encouraging, so connect. Be part of a life group. I take Discovery in ECC. Become a member of the church. Serve in a ministry. Find someone like Demetrius to surround yourself with. You know, this church has 14 elders, 14 men who, have, who are qualified. They love you. They love me. I've been to the members meeting. They pray through the membership directory. Reach out to them. You can look at the membership directory and find their number or their email and just say, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm new. Can we meet? I hear you're an elder. Can we just connect? Can we have coffee can we Zoom over the computer, anything? Can I just give you a phone call? Can I send you a WhatsApp? Whatever you can. I just want to connect with you. Do that. They would, they would rejoice. They would love that, to hear that, um, see that on their phone, to see an email that says that. They would love it. You know, these men serve faithfully. And biblically, they are being held accountable for my soul and yours. So they take this responsibility very seriously. So reach out to them. You guys remember the three red marks that I talked about earlier with uh, Diotrephes, bad guy? Now we're going to look at Demetrius, and he's actually got three green marks, three kind of good things about him. Let's look at verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. And so we see his first green mark, and it is that Demetrius has received a good testimony. Again, this is like getting a good green mark on your exam, right, on your paper. It's, it's a good thing. It talks about your character. It talks about your life and your, your priorities. And here, John is highlighting his green marks. He's saying, man, this is a good guy. Trust him. I did. I gave him this letter. I trusted him. I would trust this guy. Surround yourself with him. He receives good recommendations. You know, this would be like someone uh, recommending you, a friend of yours, saying, oh, man, you got to get together with this brother or this sister. They're, good, they're a good person. They love the Lord. Let's look at his green mark number two. 
He has a good testimony from everyone. Well, who's everyone? Well, everyone who knew him, everyone who knew Demetrius. He had a good reputation amongst believers. This shows good character. You know, this is why in our church we choose elders not based on power or charisma or money or... No, no, we don't do any of that. What we do is we look at the Bible, and what does the Bible say? Who are we to choose? We just, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you're an elder. Okay, one, two, three, go, you're an elder. No. We look at texts like 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. You can take a look at that when you're at home. That's your homework assignment. You can see these qualifications of an elder. You know, when we look at those qualifications, what we see is, is there's one that says, an overseer must be above reproach. Another translation says, he must be blameless. And don't confuse that with perfect. There are no perfect humans, right? But the elder has good reputation amongst the body and the community. And that was Demetrius, a man of character. People would, surround, would see him and say, yeah, he's a good guy. He loves the Lord. He's trustworthy. Green mark number three, he even received a good testimony from the elder John. You know, John was part of one of the disciples. He was part of the inner three with Jesus. And he, the elder John, even affirms his testimony for Demetrius. He's received a good testimony. And verse 12 says this, we also add our testimony. So what he's saying is, yeah, aside from him being a good person and a couple people agreeing and then the whole church agreeing and people agree. I want to affirm that he, that, that he is a faithful brother in the Lord, and he's trustworthy. This would be like you applying for a job and, and your coworkers saying to the new employer, oh, trust me, he's a good person. They would be like, okay, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take that into consideration. It'd be like, three, what if three of your friends got together and went to that employer and said, hey, uh, he's a really good person. He's faithful. He's, he's always at work on time. He never, um, he's, he's, he's very respectful. That employer might be like, okay, wow, that's great. But if your boss or the president of the company goes to that new employer and says, you want to hire this person. This person is someone who needs to be on your team. Now it carries an amazing weight, doesn't it? Now it means something. And that's what John is saying. Hey, he, saying here, he says, hey, even I testify of Demetrius. So these green marks not only are for pastors or Demetrius, they're for all of us as believers. Those who would repent and trust in Christ, this is for us. This is our goal, to be like Demetrius. We should all be receiving a good testimony in this community. So ask yourself, what do people say about me? What would they say? How would they describe me? Would they say that I'm trustworthy? Would they say that I, I serve others faithfully? What if I took a, a poll, an unfit, a, a poll that didn't have anyone's name, and I just sent it out to 20 of my closest friends? Would they say this about me? Would they describe me more like a Diotrephes with red marks or a Demetrius with green marks? You know, God has brought you to this church not only to be served, but to serve others. I think of John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. 
you also are, the, are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, if you have love for one another. <clears throat> you know, no doubt that these last 16 months have been very challenging, very difficult. You know, we've seen people who have lost jobs. Some have left the country without even saying goodbye because of the pandemic. They're not able to, to say goodbye, and our heart breaks. We've even seen some pass away and go and be with the Lord. And one thing I've seen is our church members come together. Our church members come together to love one another, to serve one another, to display what it really means, means to imitate good, to display what it means to really live a life that reflects the gospel. That is what it means to be good. And so, brothers and sisters, in order to guard this church, we must boldly reject evil, and we must boldly imitate good. But guess what? We don't do it alone. We don't do it alone. And that's why the third way we guard this church is we desire true fellowship. We desire true fellowship. Let's look at verse 13 and through 15. It says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will, walk face, we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Here you see John's heart, his concern, almost like a dad for this church. And we see his final words to Gaius. What we see is he's, he really ends this by sharing his hope in this letter. And I think of these seven heartwarming words, and maybe you missed it as you read. Maybe you just read the whole thing and didn't really focus on this, but there's seven heartfelt words that I really gravitated towards. In verse 13, look at this. I had much to write to you. Now, it may not seem like much initially, but my thought automatically goes to, to, to be as a dad, a dad who raises his sons, raises a son, and now his son is 18 years old and he's ready to go to uni, so he, he, he helps him to pack his clothes and all of his belongings. The family goes and they fly to another country and, and they drop him off and they, they go to the dor- dorm- dormitory and they help set up the dormitory. They meet the, prof- uh, the professors, they tour the school. The dad hugs him throughout the day knowing that eventually he's gonna have to say goodbye. And then the moment comes that he's been dreading. It's the goodbye and he looks at him, he goes, oh, son, I have so much to tell you. I think of a dad who's, who's raised a little girl. And she's now done with uni, and it's, it's her wedding day. And he goes to her, and, and all day, all he can think about is flashbacks, thoughts of when she was just a little baby, thoughts when he would throw her up in the air, thoughts of when she would jump on him when he got home from work. And he knows, he knows it's coming. He knows that at one point I'm going to have to say goodbye. And now she is no longer going to be coming to me for advice. She's going to go to her husband. And he looks at her and the time comes and, and he says to her, Oh, daughter, I have so much to tell you. This is why it reminds me of a loving father. I mean, what do you do? What do you say in those moments? You have so much to say and yet you have so little time. And John says, I would rather not write with pen and ink. I want to see you. My heart desires to be with you. I want to be with you face to face. 
Yes, he's thankful for pen and ink. We know that the early church communicated this way. And you know what? We wouldn't be reading 3 John if we didn't do, if he didn't write with pen and ink. But what he says is that his, he longs to be with them. So he says, out of necessity, I'll write with pen and ink. But what I really want, what my heart really, truly desires, is to be face to face. You know, I wonder if, John were writing this today if he would say, you know, out of necessity, I'll use Zoom. Hey, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Wait, I don't think you're on. Unmute. You have to unmute. I wonder if he would say that. Yeah, I'll Zoom over necessity. But what I really want, what I desire, is to see you face to face. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you a question. Do you prefer pen and ink, or do you desire to see face-to-face with others? You know, the pandemic has been very difficult. And in March 2020, I remember getting the WhatsApp message that the offices were going to be closed here and that we were not going to be meeting as a staff and as a church. And so my thought was, okay, much like you guys, this will last a month, max. Well, one month came and one month left, and it turned into two months, then three months, and then summer came, and summer passed. August, September, November, National Day came, and National Day passed. Christmas came, and Christmas passed. Easter came, and Easter passed. And now, here we are, 16 months later, Yes, being able to meet some, but not fully. And you know, initially my worry was that we would not be able to meet face to face. But I don't worry about that anymore. What I worry about now is that we've lost the desire to meet face to face. You know, I know many can't come for medical reasons or um, age or technology issues or for whatever reason. So that's fine. I understand that. I think the elders understand that. But there are some who can and still don't desire to meet face to face. And so I want to ask you, if you're able to meet face to face, come, be with us, fellowship, see each other. Let's, let's, let's give each other a fist bump, make eye contact. Yeah, but Ben, um, I got to be honest, uh, it's no different from watching at home or being there in person. I mean, at home, I can watch it. I can even rewind it. There's no difference. I'm listening to God's word. The Holy Spirit works through technology, and my life has been changed. And yes, that's, that's what I believe, Ben, that I, it's okay to watch from home. Well, I'll tell you what. I haven't seen my family in six weeks. Yeah, I've, I've, I've Zoomed with them. I've sent WhatsApp messages. I've seen pictures of them jumping into the water and playing. I've seen my son uh, give me a tour. He took the computer, gave me a tour of the whole house for like 10 minutes. Look at the wall. Look at this. And I'm just getting dizzy thinking, oh, boy, I can't wait to be there. That was my son excited to show me his toys. And it's been great to Zoom with them halfway around the world. But in 72 hours, I get to see them. I get to see them face to face, and it will be nothing like being on the computer. 
So John ends his letter. And he ends his letter, and the elder John desired to be face-to-face. We should desire to be face-to-face. But you know who else desired to be face-to-face? Was the creator God. We know in Genesis, we see in the very beginning that God and Adam would be in the garden. True fellowship, being face-to-face, being able to talk and interact and see each other. And they would be in true fellowship. And Adam, like Diotrephes, would reject God's authority and sin. And he ate of the fruit, and because of that, man would no longer be able to be with God face to face. They would be separated. But God, being rich and merciful, sent Christ to the earth. He sent him to be born as, as an innocent baby in a manger. And as a parent, I'll tell you what, when I see my babies, when I saw them after nine months of waiting, there was nothing anyone could do to stop me from holding my baby and just looking at the precious face on them. And here, Mary, in a manger, holds baby Jesus. This is God in the flesh. And Jesus would grow up. And he would be crucified and he would suffer for our sins. He would suffer for the sins of the world. And you know what? We are like Adam. We have rebelled. We have rejected God's authority. And because of that, Jesus took our sins. He was a spotless lamb so that we would be saved. He bore the wrath of God. He died, but he didn't die and just stay dead. He rose from the dead. He conquered death so that one day, you and I, if we repent and trust in him, we can now be face to face with God. And so if you're here and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, I want to tell you, repent. Turn to this loving God that would send Christ for your sins. You may be like Diotrephes. You may be slanderous. You may say, well, it's, it's too late for me. I'm beyond hope. I would say that is a lie from the devil. God is so merciful. God is so great. He is so loving. If you just repent and turn to him, he will save you. Yeah, well, I'm going to wait. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to wait. Don't wait. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And if you're here and you're a believer, I want to close with the question that I started with. How will you guard this church? Will you reject evil? Will you imitate good? And will you desire true fellowship? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would change us, that we would look to you, that we would depend on you and trust in you. God, speak to us today and bring conviction. In Jesus' name, amen.